This podcast is entirely generated by AI. No, it wasn't. It was produced by us. I am Marietta. And I'm Laura. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to, to the, the Interactives Podcast. This year, we will be talking about all things AI and journalism. Is the profession threatened or is it going to thrive with the help of these tools? We are so excited to be your hosts this year. Just to reassure you, no, ChatGPT didn't write any of these episodes. We are student journalists doing an MA course and we are so impatient to start a career in the world of journalism. Laura, I feel like we'll never find a job. Why? What happened to being more positive this year? I know, but it seems like AI is taking over journalism and our jobs. I'm deeply concerned about its impact and I've read somewhere that by 2025, 90% of written content will be generated by AI. Yes, even audio format is kind of threatened because it's not just the tool that can be used for writing, but there is also one that creates podcasts. But let's look at the bright side because AI can also really help us in many aspects of storytelling. We've brought you amazing experts today who are patiently waiting for us to stop talking now. Wait, but we still need to ask the questions, right? Yes, let's get on to it. Do you know that some people have been suggesting that judges should be replaced by AI because it's unbiased and doesn't have any emotions? So it's kind of the same with journalism, you know, unless it's an opinion piece. You want to be impartial and you don't want to impose any of your beliefs on your readers. Yes, I know, but it doesn't necessarily mean that AI is better at writing. Let's ask Mattia Peretti, who is the manager of Journalism AI, a collaboration between the London School of Economics and Google News Initiative. Mattia, can you give our listeners your expertise on AI and bias? Bias in general is a problem with AI, but um, I always try to move away from the idea that there is bias in humans and there is a different type of bias in AI because artificial intelligence doesn't have a bias in itself. It just replicates and multiplies our own biases. So it's on us, the humans, so to speak, to make sure that the databases we create and that we use to train these technologies and also the way then we use the technology itself is unbiased, to borrow uh, your words. It's a big issue. Probably we could speak half an hour just about that. Uh, but I always like to put the responsibility, as we like to say, on us as the journalist, because only we can minimize the potential harm of these technologies. The technology itself doesn't decide to do good or to harm someone. It's interesting you mentioned that because I also spoke to someone else who said that AI is what we feed to it and that's what AI will bring back to us. I'm also interested in our audience's needs, though. Laura, do you think AI can be used to understand our readers or listeners in this case better? Yes, there's actually a thing called modular journalism. It's supposed to support a new kind of storytelling that is more focused on users' needs. But I'm not the expert here. Mattia, can you tell us a little bit more? Modular journalism is something that I find as a very interesting trend and very interesting approach. And it's still, I would say, very much in an experimental phase, although some newsrooms have already done very creative things with that. And with modular journalism, I would just describe it as an approach that tries to ask some very hard questions about journalism from the point of view of content, starting from the question whether the article as an artifact is still the best way to give information, like as you know, to turn information in something that readers consume. Uh, very often, we know from uh, extensive research, uh, our readers don't read the articles that newsrooms produce for a variety of ways, maybe because uh, they're not interested in what we're publishing, maybe because the articles are too long 
and give them information that they don't need. Maybe because they're just looking for the answer to a very specific question, not to a long form article that tells us tells them everything about a topic. And there are many other reasons. So what modular journalism tries to do is to start from the user needs. So figure it out. Okay, what are what are the different needs that that the readers come to us? with maybe they want to be informed they want to be entertained they want to know how this specific piece of news impact their own um, commute local community for example and we could go on in terms of like the list of user needs and then the idea is can we use technology to repackage our content in different formats to meet different user needs which means that you as a journalist don't have to write the same article in 10 different formats for to meeting those user needs, but maybe you can write modules, hence the name of the approach, that can automatically be combined in different ways depending on the specific user need of the readers. At the end of the day, a good journalist should put their audiences first and produce good quality content. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I mean, now with AI, there are so many opportunities for producing quality content with the help of machine learning. An interesting example is using satellite images to detect changes over time, like with uh, climate change, for example. But I'm not entirely sure where AI fits into that exactly. So, Matia, over to you again. Yeah, that's that's a branch of AI that it's most that is uh, called computer vision, uh, mostly, if we want to be more precise. And I always like to use an example. Uh, that it happens to be from Ukraine, although not about the war, because it's from uh, three years ago, where we collaborated uh, in a couple of occasions with a data journalism organization from Ukraine called Texty. And they published a super interesting investigation in 2019 into illegal amber mining in Ukraine. So a topic more related to the climate change rather than the war, of course. Uh, what they did was, of course, they wanted to, they knew from sources that in the forest of Ukraine, there was a big issue of illegal mining of amber uh, from you know, illegal actors, so to speak. And uh, uh, they wanted to understand the magnitude of the problem to really then be able to write a story about it and help you know society understand how much uh, damage was being done to the climate and to the forest of Ukraine, uh, and also how much money was being taken away from the country from this illegal mining. What they realized was that they wanted to uh, check satellite imagery of the country, the way you can do it on Google Earth, on Google Maps, uh, for example. But of course, us humans, we go back to what we were discussing before, we can do that. But if we're going to go an entire country like Ukraine, that is pretty big, frame by frame to try to see in the imagery if we can recognize uh, issues there, that's going to take us forever. So what they did was to train a machine learning model to recognize some patterns of amber mining, which are very use case for this because uh, to mine amber, I'm not an expert, I learned through this story. Uh, once that happens, there are some very clear holes on the ground left by amber mining. So it was very... It was a perfect use case because the machine learning model can learn, okay, when I see something that looks like this, it's likely to be a case of undermining. And so I can create a package, a folder of all the images that I recognized. So then the journalist, and here's the collaboration between us and the AI, can uh, go through those images specifically, rather than having to go through the whole country on Google Maps and try to understand, uh, is this undermining in the first place? Maybe no, sometimes the machine learning model gets it wrong and thinks that it is, maybe it's just some different kind of holes on the ground. And if it is, is it something that is regulated? In this area, do we know that undermining is regulated or not? 
If not, here we have evidence of illegal undermining and we can write a story about it. And that story was incredibly uh, impactful because it allowed then the government to have the data to act on it and tackle this issue of illegal undermining on the ground. Now that we talked about change over time, there is something else that kind of evolved in the way we used to perceive it. And it's going to sound a little bit odd at first, but I'm talking about quotes. Wait, isn't it common sense what a quote is? What do you mean? It is, but it gets more complicated when you have to explain it to a machine and you want you to go through your entire archive. But it still doesn't make sense. Why would you want to track your quotes? The Guardian did it and it was very useful for them. But Mattia knows more about it. The project you're referring to was a collaboration in 2021 between The Guardian in the UK and IFP in France. And it's actually a few steps back, in a sense, in the idea of understanding quotes. That really comes from the point of view of understanding um, we, as The Guardian, for example, as a big news organization with a long history, as a lot of content in their archive as well. And very often it could be useful to understand uh, uh, what sources have already been used and quoted in articles. So if we want for a machine learning model to be able to recognize quotes, to help us filter them, maybe create a library of quotes that we can reuse, and also help us understand who are we quoting, that is an incredibly interesting insight of that project, we need to be able to better define what a quote is for ourselves, so then this type of process can be automated. The last part is what I was, I'm really interested in and I found super interesting in their project was that uh, luckily many newsrooms right now are being uh, more aware about the diversity of the voices that they quote in their articles. So being able to automate this type of research so you can say, okay, in, in, the, last, uh, uh, in the last month, for example, 80% of our quote were men and only 20% were women or any other kind of like disparity that can really that's data that can really help a newsroom that really cares about diversity realizing okay we need to do better about this we need to have better sources that are women we need to have more sources that are people of color or anything else we can continue on the list and that's kind of like it wasn't necessarily maybe what they started the project for but it was one in my opinion of the most interesting insights of that research Thank you so much, Mattia, for your input on the subject. Yes, thank you, Mattia. That was so interesting. Our next guest is... Hang on, you're not the host here. Very well. I'll take my leave then. Our next guest is Marcela Kunova, editor of journalism.co.uk. We invited her because we are curious about what news outlets are using AI for and what risks might come, especially now, with all the AI chatbots like ChatGPT. She wrote an amazing article suggesting what ChatGPT can do for us journalists. It can certainly make us more productive because daily tasks like summarizing texts or writing emails can be done by AI. Oh yes, it can also generate headlines for us. A little challenge for our listeners. Why don't you try A-B testing with a headline of yourself and one created by an AI? But what about writing actual articles? Marcela, what's your view on it? I don't think journalists should use any text or audio generating tool to create content to be published. Just, just don't do it. It's simple as it's not what these tools are for. You'll get into trouble. It's there to help you do journalism, not do journalism for you. Very often I um, encounter this um, attitude of just a bit too much um, not so only trust, but kind of 
people deal with a machine as if it were a person. They are not a person. <laughs> it's a machine. So, the, you know, you would not double check everything someone says, but you have to double check everything a machine gives you. That makes it sound even more time consuming. Marcella, are you worried that AI chatbots like Bing and Bard will change users' searching habits and that journalists should be working on new SEO strategies? The problem with, you know, the problem with these um, artificial intelligence aggregators is that they can not only get an excerpt from a website, but they can just put together text from multiple sources. So it will be impossible to detangle what comes from where, who said that, uh, and how can you verify what it is. Uh, but you know, the danger is that um, you know, people will read the first paragraph, two paragraphs, not know the not know where it comes from, not click on the link of the potentially trustworthy source. And for publishers, this this is going to be a massive headache. Because if say breaking news, you know, if you have 15, 20 papers cover the same, oh, well, I know, prime minister questions or whatever it can be, the topic is the same. So the machine can really just aggregate you know, two, three, four paragraphs from 15 publishers and neither of them will get nor the credit, nor the traffic, nor, nor the trust of the audience. That sounds terrifying. No one will read our articles then. Which AI tools have you given a try yet, Marcella? <laughs> I mean, listen, I, I give try to everything because I literally want to see what, you know, with, with GPT, I spent pretty much a day with it. Uh, just having more and more laugh because, I mean, that thing was getting absolutely upset. Um, you know, can well we have um text to speech tool on the website for better accessibility so the the sort of robot voice that reads you the article oh that's a friend of mine this use of sort of voice ai um perfectly legit and and i think very very useful thank you marcella really enjoyed talking to you on the next episode we will be talking to ines montani ceo of explosion ai and anna Vicens, data scientist at the guardian who will tell us more about the project we touched on briefly in this episode now should we let amy conclude this episode i feel so bad for her amy come back thank you laura i hope our listeners enjoyed this first episode don't forget to subscribe and we will see you next week